1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, Jen Allen Knuth. And today we have a round two with Joe Deliberto, who is an elite, elite Sandler trainer serving the Bay Area. Jen, why should people listen?
2: Today we get into the bookends of a sales call. How we open often dictates how easy it is for us to close that first conversation.
1: Ooh, a three, a two, a one, open this episode.
0: Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: All right, Joe, welcome back to the show. You might remember we start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
3: All right. First of all, one of the things that we fall into a trap of is we start presenting our stuff before really finding pain. And, and so a rule here is never present to somebody before you know their pain. And one way to think about this, Nick, is that we got to focus more on what I would call outcomes than deliverables. And if you understand that, I think we can kind of follow that first rule. Beautiful. Bring us to number two. Number two is we have a tendency to ask, how did that call go? Don't ask that question. Instead, ask, how did that call end? Because it's really important that we always have a clear next step. As a matter of fact, it becomes almost a guideline to determine, did somebody qualify to be in our pipeline? Was there pain? And is there a clear next step or two criteria for that?
1: Very nice. Round us out, Joe. What's number three?
3: All right. We all get sort of, I don't know, objections from time to time. We have to recognize that objections are actually opinions. And if we think of them as opinions, it changes the way we are curious about where that came from. So if somebody said to me, "Gosh, Joe, that's a lot of money," rather than getting into defensive mode, "Well, you get what you pay for," or "You know, here's why, here's why so much," it's more like, "Help me understand that better." Are you telling me that you just don't have money in your budget, or you're having trouble cost justifying the solution? So those are my three. Beautiful.
1: So one of the things that we were talking about on the pre-show was the idea of the back half of a sales call. And there's this focus from a lot of salespeople on I got to get my next steps. I got to help navigate the selling process. I might have to teach my customer how they buy something. And a lot of that happens at the end of a sales call. And one of the things that you've taught me is that the beginning of the sales call is actually where I set up what happens at the end. So let's say I'm showing up to a sales meeting via Zoom and I've got my best polo shirt on a nice smile on my face and the customer joins, they're not late for once, yippee. How do I kick that sales
3: call off? I do what I call a two-minute drill that, that gets me set up for a meeting. And here are the elements of a, of a two-minute drill. First of all, be really clear, crystal clear on the purpose of this particular meeting and, and the steps in my sales cycle. Number two is... What is the desired outcome of this meeting? Number three is I got to guess their pains. And the fourth one has a little bit to do with um, behavioral style, which I won't get into, but it has to do with am I talking to an engineer or am I talking to a CEO? a head a marketing that's going to change the way I approach it. So once I have those things, I'm now ready to to build an upfront contract, which sets the stage. The way to think about an upfront contract, Nick, is that we do one in the beginning and at the end of every meeting to, to make sure there's always a, a reasonable uh, expectation for a meeting and a clear next step at the end of a meeting. So I might say to somebody that maybe, a, I don't know, four or five step sale. I might say, you know what, Nick, the good news about this meeting is it's it's not a decision-making meeting. And if I said that, you'd be like, that's good. I don't like making decisions, especially on the first meeting. But then I might say, you know, the only decision you and I are going to have to make is, should we actually follow this up with any follow-up meeting with you or anybody else on your team? Is that something you'd be comfortable with? So now we're recognizing what is a reasonable decision for each step in our process. So this goes back to the definition of selling. Selling is helping people make a decision and recognizing the micro decisions. So having all this is going to make what your question a lot easier. How do we basically design the back half of a meeting. And, and so the upfront contract would be what purpose of our meeting is to do X, Y, and Z. Makes sense. My assumption is you have a lot of questions for me. I've got questions for you. And, and at the end, let's make sure we reserve the last five or 10 minutes to determine what just happened so that we can figure out there's a need for a next step or not.
2: Okay. So the way you just said that was beautiful. I'm going to shoot you so straight because I post a lot of my feelings on the internet and I will just be called out if I don't But I think in reality, I hear reps butcher upfront contacts all the time, right? So talk to us about like what you just described feels very like brings down the defenses. I'm leaned in. I'm like, all right, Joe, let's do this. What are some of the mistakes you think sellers get wrong when using an upfront contract that creates distance between the prospect and the rep?
3: Another good question. So the key word here is collaboration. So when you think about the pieces of an upfront contract, the first one is time. You know, hey, Jen, we have an hour set aside for today's call before we get started. Is that still going to work for you? Right. And yeah, I'm still good with that, Joe. Any hard stops I should be aware of? Okay, so so that was the first element is time. Now I'm going to flip it to you, Jen, if you're my prospect. You know, Jen, my assumption is you probably had a few things you wanted to make sure we covered here. Are you comfortable sharing those with me? So now all of a sudden I'm listening to you because I want to make sure if there's some things on your mind. I don't want to ignore those. I may not do those things, by the way. I I might even say, hey, that sounds important. Um, We may not be able to cover all that today. So let's discuss what a reasonable expectation would be. Right. So now this is also uh, important in terms of how we're managing expectations. Jen, the word that I like to use is what is a reasonable expectation for for the particular meeting we're in? So I might say, you know, typically we're probably going to be talking about the kind of things that you're looking for in terms of my background or my experience, the kind of clients we have. I want to make sure we get to all that. But I also want to make sure I have an understanding of your business, the challenges that you're facing, the kind of things that you guys are up against. So that when we talk about what would a potential engagement look like? It'll make a little bit more sense and we can kind of customize it. Are you okay with that? So now what just happened there? What happened was I just set the agenda that says, I'm not going to talk about me until I have a better understanding about you and made sure I asked, are you okay with that?
1: I'm curious about what happens when you have a buyer who's visibly impatient and they show up and it's clear they're there to get three things and they've been trained by not-so-hot salespeople that they've just got to push for, hey, Joe, like I don't have a lot of time here. Just give me a sense of what this costs. I'd love to like see a really quick demo, and then I'll get back with you if we'd like to learn more. Can, can we just do that for this meeting? What do you do when you've got this hot buyer coming in and they're not really willing to play ball, or at least it comes across that way?
3: Here's what's going through my mind. I don't know if I want to work with this guy, first of all, but I am wondering if this is really a qualified opportunity. We have this rule that I love, and that is if you're thinking something, just say it, right? Mm-hmm. So so here's what I might say, you know, John, it sounds to me like you, you got a lot of things that you want to kind of cut to the chase and get to. Now, I'm happy to do that, but, but I'm not sure how relevant it's going to be if we just sort of jump in that without me having a better understanding. Like if you asked me what the price is and I gave you a number, you'd probably be like, what's that for? And I'd be, I don't know. I don't know. And we haven't really talked about what you're looking for here. So then I might use that term that I mentioned earlier. You know what, John, let's discuss what is actually reasonable for this time that we have together. What do you really want out of this call, out of this conversation? And if the answer is, Joe, I just want to know what your price is. I want to know what your deliverable is, blah, blah, blah. I might then say, well, can we spend a little bit of time on that? You're bringing those things up for a reason. Help me out. So let's assume he says, Joe, just to let you know, full disclosure, I'm talking to two other guys and you. I may say, well, first of all, thanks for sharing that with me. Hey, look, sometimes it's hard to compare apples to apples. Can can we talk about the criteria that you're even going to use here to make those comparisons? But anything coming out of my mouth, Nick, has to be in his best interest, not just mine. Oh, I don't give away a price that early. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's. Hey, I'm happy to give you some pricing, but I'm, I'm not sure how relevant it's going to be to you.
1: I want to call out a couple things that you're doing here. Early in the meeting, whether you have the coming at you hot buyer or the maybe a little more pleasant to work with buyer, you are upfront uncovering their motivations for why they even showed up on that call. And I think it's so brilliant where what you're doing is you're saying, let's do this thing. What do you want to cover? You're giving them control so that they feel like they can proceed with you and you actually can then shift that so that you are actually in control of the call. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was the idea of whatever you're presenting to the customer or saying to the customer or asking them to do needs to be in their best interest, not just yours. Talk to me about some common errors salespeople make in presenting next steps that might be in both parties' best interest, but maybe they're not explaining it the right way to the buyer.
3: I think the tool in our toolbox that I personally use very often is called third-party stories. It's a little hard to say to somebody kind of a direct frontal approach, you know, you're asking me for a demo and and really there's no need to do that at this early stage. It's not going to be useful. They're going to feel like, who are you to tell me that, right? But I could say this in a third-party story. You know, uh, John, it's interesting. A lot of times people ask for a demo at this stage. And what they're really telling me is that they've actually gone through the process of maybe looking at a couple other solutions. And now they're kind of validating that. Help me understand, where are you in the process here? So that was a kind of a frontal approach using a third-party story. So don't fall into the trap of letting them take the lead. Another way to think about it is... I was watching a zoom call from one of my clients and we were all in a room and everybody had their laptops open. And the person, my client is, was pretty smart, pretty smart. and he was answering all the questions like really well. And I said, well, put that on pause right there. And, and so I said to the group right at this point, who's, who's running the call. And they said, well, our guy, like Jack is, well, why do you say that? Cause, cause the, he's answering the questions like really well. I said, no. Now the person that's asking the questions is running the call. So here's what's going through my mind. You've heard a term in negotiating that's called no unilateral concessions. OK, I expand the definition of that term and, and that includes information gathering and sharing. So if I'm going to be giving information, I've earned the right to gather some as well. So I'm keeping that balance. So that does imply I have to give some information, too, because I don't think they should expect unilateral concessions on their end. Secondly, I have to know that other tool in my toolbox that's called reversing, and that is answering a question with a question. So if somebody says, how do you do X, Y, and Z, Joe? I might say, hey, you know, I'm happy to share that with you, but before I do, I want to make sure I understand, is that a problem that your, your team is going through right now? Is that something that, that you're seeing often? And the upfront tr- contract is going to help, because if I said in my upfront contract, hey, Mary, look... um," Would it be helpful if we maybe allocated the first 10 or 15 minutes of the meeting, kind of rolling up our sleeves, popping the hood a little bit to make sure I understand some of the things that are going on? What are the issues that you want to make sure we cover? And if we can sort of dig a little deeper, that'll help me so that when we get into what would the deliverable look like, it'll make more sense.
2: Okay. Now let's shift gears a little bit. We've had a great meaty discussion in the upfront. Now we're getting into the later part of the call. And every seller's dreaded, O word, objections, we start hearing objections from our prospect. So let's say I'm like, Joe, love your solution, but I need you to call me back in six months. It's just not the right time. How do you recommend that a seller first understands and then shifts to addressing it?
3: So that, that particular one that you just raised is a timing thing, right? And so here's what we know. A problem like that that you're suggesting to me is not a problem. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of something. And what it's a symptom of is what we didn't do well earlier in the meeting, which was the pain step. So here's how to think about the pain step. There are three layers of pain, problem, reason, and impact. If you lay that next to the buyer's journey, why should I do something different? Why should I do it right now? And why should I do it with you? The problem that salespeople have is that we spend too much time on why you should do business with me, why my solution is best, without really digging into the first two whys. So in other words, hopefully I would have uncovered that problem of now isn't the right time. Six months from now is when we should reconnect. I would have learned that in the pain step, and therefore this is either not a qualified opportunity or it's a futures opportunity. So the pain step is going to bridge to the budget step or investment step. Therefore, I know that I've got to go all the way down to the third level and actually measure the impact, put numbers against the impact.
1: What are some of the types of things that I should be asking about when I ask somebody to quantify the pain, the problem, or the outcome that they're looking to achieve?
3: This is where we'll use a third-party story. We might say, you know, first of all, it's not unusual that, that maybe it's a little challenging to quantify this and put some numbers against it. Can I share with you how some of my customers have kind of gone through that process of quantification? And now I'm going to educate. I'm going to say, you know, typically they look at a couple factors and, and they look at things like, you know, what is 12 months from now going to look like? What's the difference between where you are today and where, you're, where you'd like to be? What does success look like? What are the things that are getting in the way of that? Uh, What's the kind of ways that we're going to remove those barriers? What's the cost of that? How are you dealing with some other factors like competitive threats, economic uncertainties, technology? So I'm basically walking them through the considerations of how to quantify a problem. Beautiful.
1: So we've done all this work in the beginning, making sure that there is going to be an equitable exchange of information and that you and the prospect are focused on the right Reasonable things for a first interaction. At what point should I move to the what happens next part of the conversation? Well,
3: first of all, don't wait to the uh, last minute uh, because let's face it, no one wants to be in a situation where somebody's going to try to force them to make a decision. When you think about the upfront contract, we've actually closed the sale in the first fifteen seconds. So if I was going to be in the, the the call before the final final decision call, let's assume it's a five call close, and I'm on number four. Here's what I'm going to say at the end of the fourth meeting. Hey, Nick, it's my understanding that when we get together next week with your your team uh, and we go through all the stuff that we kind of discussed here today, you're in a position to kind of give us either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We're either going to be moving forward or not. I don't know. do, Do I have that right? And if the answer to that question is, yeah, that's kind of where we are, I just closed the sale at the end of the meeting. So now there's no pressure on that other one, which I'm going to start the same way. Let's imagine a couple of things that could happen. So here's a, a, here would be one that I think happens a lot to salespeople. Even me, I run into these issues myself. So I had a guy, CEO of a midsize company and the call went really well. It was a zoom call. And he said to me, Joe, this is exactly what our team needs. Why don't you do me a favor, put a proposal together email it to me. Let me run it by my leadership team, and I'll get back to you. Give me about a week or so to get back to you. Has anybody ever heard that? Can you get it to me by tomorrow morning, by night? Yeah, I could do that. I'll work on it tonight. But here's what I said instead. I said, you know, John, I'm happy to do that, but can I make a suggestion? He said, sure. I said, let's do this. Let's put a meeting on the calendar. I'm going to draft an agreement with some options in it that we can go through together. So when we have our meeting, let's roll up our sleeves together, We may need to fine tune it. I'm sure you'll have some questions. And at the end of that, we'll probably have something that's pretty close to what you're looking for. Is that something you'd be comfortable with? And of course, the answer was, well, yeah. And we did that and was able to get that new account. That pivotal moment changed everything. Make sure we save the time to talk about clear next steps.
1: One thing that I'll point out is you do such a good job of removing the pressure from the other person by even your language there was, hey, would you mind if I made a a suggestion? And No one's going to say, no, I don't want your recommendation. I don't want your suggestion. And that opens them up. Maybe Joe might know what he's talking about, and I should listen to his suggestion or recommendation. And my suggestion to myself is I need to book Joe for an hour and a half for the next interview because this is so good, but we are running out of time. And so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this, Joe. We talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so my last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps?
3: Well, this is aligned to what we've been talking about for the past half hour. And here it is. Don't be a question answerer. Don't be a question answerer because here's the deal. It's going to make you feel really good to answer questions. It's great for our ego. We love it when we hear, wow, you really know your stuff, but it's not going to make any money. Show people you're smart by what you ask, not by what you say. Beautiful. Joe,
1: thank you for joining us. Everybody, make sure to go connect with Joe on on LinkedIn. Send him a note. He's He's been really helpful to some of our 30 MPC listeners who are looking to upskill their sales skills. So Joe, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. steal
0: them. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.
2: Our top four actionable takeaways from this episode are number one, the person asking the questions is the one running the call. While it can feel really good to respond to rapid fire questions, bring it back by seeking to understand the why behind the question that they're asking. Number two, objections are opinions. Instead of jumping in to overcome them, first seek to understand them by identifying if the objection is rooted in a lack of clarity around why should change. Why now or why us? Number three is the two-minute call prep drill.
1: When you're preparing for a sales call, you need to know the purpose of that interaction, your desired outcome, You need to make a guess at the pains or the problems that they are dealing with. And you need to have a hunch of what the other person's behavioral style is going to be. And then number four is in any sales conversation, you cannot have unilateral information concessions. The exchange of information between you and the other party needs to be equitable. And one way you can do that is by reversing, which is answering a question with a question. That's it, Jen, how can people help us out?
2: If you like this episode, smash that like button, subscribe, and hey, share it with your friends.
1: What if we don't have friends? I'm thinking of Armon. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.